This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. All right, I think I am here. We good? We do have a lot to talk about. Um, So much to break down from last night's game between the Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames. And a huge series beginning tomorrow night with the Toronto Maple Leafs here in Winnipeg. Um, and we've got a great lineup today. Uh, as you mentioned, Jeff Hamilton's going to join us. Jeff's been on the Jet Beat this week, so we will kind of first start it off talking Jets, North Division, looking ahead to this series against the Leafs. But we'll also save some time to talk to Jeff about what he's hearing in and around the Canadian Football League. And uh, Reem, I can't wait for 145. Our old pal Keegan Matheson from MLB.com coming back to get ready for Blue Jays season. Literally everything through the pandemic has sort of caught me off guard timing is just so different right now I didn't know March Madness was here I can't believe the Masters is coming up next week and I mean I guess we should know it's the end of March April 1st is this week Um, opening day is just about here Thursday yeah Thursday's opening day and people are asking on Twitter where are the Blue Jays playing they're playing in Dunedin Florida that's their spring training home they'll be playing there until June at least maybe they move to Buffalo if it gets too uh, rainy and hot in Florida or if, you know, the rules allow, they would love to be able to return to Toronto and play at the Rogers Centre. So uh, we'll wait and see. As of now, they're in, uh, they're in Dunedin, and I'm looking forward to this Blue Jays season. They've got a stacked lineup. Pitching is kind of, and their big free agent signing, Kirby Yates, uh, needs Tommy John. So uh, their bullpen, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. So Keegan will fill us all in. He's very tuned in with MLB.com, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll say this about the Jays, and again, we'll spend more time talking baseball later on. Um, this is the first time in a while, I think, where there's a real legitimate, genuine excitement about the Blue Jays. I shouldn't say it. Last year was exciting because we were talking about these kids so long, and finally they were going to play. But I think this year, with the addition of Springer, some of the things they did last year and into the offseason, trying to address the starting rotation, I, I, the ex- expectations are that this Jays team will be challenging for the division with the Yankees and certainly for a wildcard spot in the AL. Oh, yeah. I think they're definitely going to contend. The Yankees are a powerhouse. We look at the East Orioles. Uh, I mean, they're in a, I guess, rebuild. Tampa is pretty good. Can they repeat? Last year, they went to the World Series. We all remember Blake Snell getting pulled in the last game. (laughs) And Red Sox are in a transition year, too. So there's definitely a chance. I don't think the AL Central is very good. The White Sox and the Twins are the two teams there. Uh, Cleveland is kind of going through, I don't don't know, rebuild, I guess. Uh, You know about the Royals not doing so hot. And uh, the West, I mean, can the Angels finally get in the playoffs with, uh, with Mike Trout? They've kind of wasted... His career, that's a big one there. Seattle, they haven't been in since 2001. Houston, uh, they're kind of, are they recovered now from tra- the trash can thing? So that's what's going on in the American <laughs> the American League. Hey, just before we get to talking about the Jets and Flames last night, I want to give a shout out to uh, so many folks that are in the chat. Hey, there's Chris Coffin. I believe Chris was the one that, you know, posted of his trip to DQ. That is wonderful to hear. Um, I want to give a shout out. There's the Earl of Eli's in the house. Roger Quenville. Jet Oil Tom's here. Chris Parson, the Bullet. Uh, Dickie Weiss is here. Owen Urema. Jeff Dirksen. And just had an interesting one, Reem, from... Just got to go back and find this. Oh, there's Wrench Doozer. Joe from Winnipeg. Love to see you in here. Um, Alex K. Alex, welcome to the show. Just to, Just discovered today this program. I've been missing TSN 1290's afternoon show 
So looking forward to this a lot. Alex, it's great to have you with us. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, give us a like as well. Uh, Alex, you're probably going to want to, if you're not able to join us live, you can always come back and watch the show on YouTube afterwards. Someone was asking, you know, is it better for us whether people watch the shows on YouTube or download it on the podcast? I, I don't know. You probably know better than me. I mean, you know, we want people to subscribe, to get it, to share it. But as long as people are consuming it every day, uh, we just want them to, to be hanging out with us and listening to it whenever they can. Yeah, I have no idea what's better. Um, I think if you're going on YouTube, make sure you're hitting the like button. I think that's huge. A podcast, I mean, it's all the same. I don't. I, whatever you're doing, downloading, YouTubing, I don't think it matters. Someone commented, uh, the best part of YouTube is the chat, and I agree we've had a really lively, lively chat, especially everyone supporting you doing some uh, tech support live, which was awesome. And uh, a podcast, someone said, you know, you can listen at 1.5x speed. Oh, we got Wrench Doozer. With the super chat, says, love the unboxing live stream. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, unboxing a new cord for the Yeti mic for Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, (laughs) And Doozer, thanks very much for the super chat. We're still learning about that. But, uh, yeah, success is when preparation meets opportunity. It was all there. Steve Ross, you guys need an IT department. We probably need a few departments, to be honest with you. But bottom line is we're getting this show on the air uh, and every now and then something funny like this happens and we just deal with it and we uh, and we yeah. move on from it. Um, <laughs> so anyways, listen, first off, um, I do want to thank all of our sponsors, Not Autocorp, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Winnipeg, Nick and Nikki DQ, uh, the Dairy Queens of, of Nick and Nikki, and of course, Breezy Ben Golf and Country Club. Uh, and CoolBet.com. We'll get to the daily lines for CoolBet a little bit later on. And just, you know, we touched on uh, Major League Baseball. Um, Dustin Nielsen and I talked about upcoming MLB futures today in the lock shop. So you can go and check that afterwards. Check my Twitter for that. But, um, Remo, before we bring Hammer in, your thoughts on the game last night. There was a lot to get to, uh, but it was pretty hard not to start with discussing just how brilliant Mark Shifley was with his new wingers. Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers, who went straight um, Harlem Globetrotters last night in the second period. Yeah, I saw you tweeted out. I think it's been clear for a while. Uh, Ehlers and Connor have been uh, some of the most exciting offensive players on the Jets. And Mark Shifley so quietly uh, leading the team in points. I know Mike McIntyre was on the show, I think it was last week, saying, you know, I put out a poll for Jets MVP. And Shifley is so under the radar, even though he's leading the team in points. He got, like, the least amount of votes behind Hellebuck, Pionk, Ehlers. So Mark Shifley very quietly doing his thing. And you put the three best offensive guys together, and it looks like you have some magic. As you said, Ehlers uh, doing the Burray puck to skate in the Ozone just because why not? Uh, You got both those guys ripping one-timers. It was awesome to watch. Maybe you do have some concerns defensively about you know that line but I mean I don't have any concerns about offense uh it's unbelievable seeing those guys together well you know it was funny the second goal went in to make it 3-1 and I mean if you recall the first period um there was a couple shifts that you know we were all excited to see what Shifley would do with Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers and they didn't spend much time outside of their own end there was a lot of puck chasing and a few shots on the other side and I texted a friend who responded to me, oh, my God, these guys are unbelievable together. And I said, what do you think the Corsi is right about now for today? And mm. <laughs> went and checked it. And, yeah, it was 33% at the time. Yeah. Um, and then you realize that, you know, a line like that, 
are they going to be, you know, owning other teams? Are they going to be a defensive star? Well, probably not. But when they get the puck, their ability to make you pay for any little mistake and create on the rush is right up there with the best lines in hockey. And we saw it last night. And when Nikolai Ehlers is playing with the spark that he had last night, he was really developed some connection with Kyle Connor. And then you move Mark Shifley into that situation. Listen, the possession numbers probably won't be what they are with Pierre-Luc Dubois in that, in that spot. But I think we saw last night the tantalizing combination of those three players offensively is going to mean, um, it's going to mean some long nights for opposition goaltenders. And um, you know what? I, I, I don't know any other way to put it, Remus, than players like that maybe don't need as many opportunities as some of the others. And that was exactly what happened last night, going against, against the Calgary Flames and chasing Markstrom from the net after two periods. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the uh, shot attempts. Yeah, they're on the negative side, but it was like two shots. So in a 60-minute game, like two shots is uh, at even strength. Two shot attempts is, is not much. And yeah, Ehlers, we've been saying for a long time, one of the best uh, zone entry guys in the league. And here we are talking, like, you know, this was such a genius plan. Uh, you know, why didn't they do it sooner? Why did they finally think about it? Jeff Hamilton uh, was the guy who asked the coach after. I have the clip ready to go. Should we give her on this? Yeah, well, you know what? Just we'll get this coming into uh, coming into Hamilton. We'll play this ready. Why don't I do a quick uh, a quick spot um, for um, Not Auto Corp? Uh, of course, you know why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with our friends at Not Auto Corp, Waverly and McGilvery. Uh, you know, it's an incredible selection of luxury vehicles, uh, family vehicles. They've got it all, as well as a ton of Teslas coming in every single week. They've been really the Tesla leader in town for a long time. Uh, and if you're looking to get out of a vehicle, they'll help you get top dollar for it with their very successful consignment program. First on board with us, Not Autocorp. Visit them at, online at not.ca. And a shout out to Nick and Nikki in the Nick and Nikki DQ group, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ Niverville, and DQ St. Anne's. And uh, I've got to give a special shout out to my folks who both got the shots yesterday. And that obviously, I think for everyone, if your parents are waiting to get vaccinated to get them there, they're great. And I just found out, what did my parents do to celebrate this? They went to DQ Northgate, got an Oreo ice cream cake from Nick and Nikki. Of course, as we mentioned, congratulations to them. Number one in Manitoba and top 10 in Canada for cake sales. It's Easter. They've got all the Easter spread out, so you can get that. I'm going to try and pop in and see them tomorrow morning, actually, on that. But um, anyways... The Patterson household was celebrating with DQ last night from DQ Northgate uh, and uh, very happy that my parents got the shots and hopefully all of yours are doing so as well very, very soon. All right, let's get to it. As Michael Remus said, um, to bring in Jeff Hamilton, we begin with the interaction between Hammer and Paul Maurice last night when Jeff take, basically going Ken, uh, Ken Weeb, quoting Ken Weeb with the... Uh, with the question that before was about three on three overtime, last night it was about swapping the centers. Here's the coach. Hey, Paul. Um, you know, with all the line juggling that's that's gone on this season, I had to do a bunch, you know, go back through the papers, look through the lineups and see if that group has been put together with Mark. Um, and I'm curious. I didn't see that it has. So I'm kind of curious what took so long. Really? Um <laughs> I've liked the way that the structure of our lines, we've been a pretty good team. So um, I don't think it was as clearly obvious as you suggest. The uh, 
some of it had to do with the matchup from our last game, but some of it had to do with the lines you write out six weeks ago, you know, or two months ago after uh, we, we get Peter Luke back in our lineup. Um, so when you get to the end of a really, really long road trip and your team's played well uh, and had a tough loss, sometimes you need something to kind of um, almost fire up a little interest, if that makes sense. Like like it's it's a long grind. So just one of the old coaches I used to work with, Kevin McCarthy, always said a change is as good as a rest. And um, we were kind of always looking to figure out what Pierre Luke would look like with Blake Wheeler. That, that's more of it. I've seen Kyle Connor and I've seen Kyle and Shife and Nikki and pieces over time. I have an understanding of them as players, but I've been interested in what Pierre Luke and uh, Blake could look like together. So uh, that was the driver, just more I needed to something I thought to get the players kind of a different look. All right, there was Coach Paul Maurice after the game. The man that asked that question, Jeff Hamilton, joins us now. And Hammer, I had to laugh, and um, I'm not sure whether Coach just likes you a little bit more. He did give it to you a bit with the question, but uh, Ken got the verbal smackdown when he dropped the what took so long. And uh, Coach had a little bit more time for your question last night. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny too, right? Because obviously everyone's, you know, everyone's on Zoom. Everyone kind of looks at each other. And I think even even Kenny mentioned in his post game last night with Sean Reynolds that you were part of that, you know, those are awkward, not awkward, but there's a little bit of lost in translation when you're asking on a on like a video screen versus seeing him come in because you get that opportunity to kind of gauge where their attitude is. I mean, it works really well with Blake Wheeler in the past where, you know, if he's spitting nails, you probably don't want to grind him a little bit harder at this point, maybe ask him the next day, but you know, we get who we get. Obviously we get Paul all the time. And I asked that question. I, um, my, you know, in hindsight, it's a little bit like cheeky. It's a little bit like direct, like, you know, challenging his philosophies, all, all that and whatever. But I really thought that it was a, um, I just kind of was like, what took you so long? Like, how did this line come about? It looked, you know, as I mentioned, you've line jug, he's been line juggling all year long. And so when you, when you take that into consideration and that, you know, I, I get what he's saying. It's not as obvious as it seems because it seems kind of obvious on the outside that Mark Shifley, your best centerman, would play with your two best wingers, arguably. So, um, you know, anyways, all that about – I actually have to give Paul credit because we do have a good rapport, me and him, and certainly him and Kenny have a great rapport as well for how, how long he's covered this team. Um, but you could tell he – you could almost physically tell him take a breath <laughs> – Kind of, and this is what I like about Paul is he's if he's good at anything, it's it's kind of finding perspective. He's been really good at the COVID stuff and and and, and gaining perspective out of that, and and just his philosophy, um, his 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 instinct is really to kind of take into account things around him. So I give him that credit because I think he did right. I mean, he kind of went in and I don't want to call it a shot or anything, but he mentioned the obvious part. But he ended up giving, like you mentioned, a great answer. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, what I was looking for. So I'm certainly no worse for wear. And uh, yeah, we'll go on doing regular business. It's not the first time either, right? I was the guy he said that he could make cry in that room. Now, he wasn't exactly saying he could make me cry in that room. but He that could was- make you cry, though. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, listen, it was a great moment last night. And, you know, it's all about the spot for it. And I think that was why Ken originally dropped that one. You know, everyone was talking about the three forwards, and they had just won again with three forwards. And, you know, some well, of it was lost in translation, uh, translation of Zoom. 
Bottom line, though, big win last night, and everyone was talking about that line. And listen, Shafley had a couple goals. He was phenomenal. But my God, that second period of Nikolai Ehlers, it doesn't get much better than that. And, you know, I've made a few Globetrotters references, but he literally had the wizard hat on. Yeah, and that's kind of just been a continuation of his season, right? I mean, that confidence has been there. It's kind of always been there. Obviously, it's dipped. You I mean he earlier in his career, he obviously had the postseason problems and couldn't score him. But I, I really think this is his breakout year. I mean, he's always been a talented guy. I think now it's kind of all coming together. And when that happens to a player, things slow down. You hear all these things, right? The game slows down, you get better, and he's just riding a wave. Now, what I thought was super impressive about uh, last night's game was I thought Nick Ehlers was horrible the previous game. Um, you know, like I didn't even recognize him once really. I remember thinking to myself in the second period, I mean, with all due respect, relatively speaking, when I say horrible, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, he rebounds nicely and he doesn't get in that, you know, he, he, that's easy to kind of turn into two games and three games. Whereas, you know, obviously was a standout player yesterday. He's having a terrific season. and, And this is a guy who a lot of people were, you know, putting in trade conversations or, you know, became a guy that was a bit disposable. Now I think you're seeing a guy who uh, is, is driving lines. I think something that maybe you never really anticipated before, you know, you knew he was going to be a goal scorer. You knew he, he had the transition game with his speed, but now he's driving periods. I mean, and to be quite frank, it's a different position wing and, and center, but you kind of wish you could see a bit more of that from Mark Shifley, even though Mark Shifley's having a terrific year um, points wise, you, you know, you'd like to see him drive a bit more. And, and that's what we're seeing with Nick Ehlers. Let me ask you this, and we talked about this a little bit with um, with uh, Sean and Ken last night, um, late night. Assuming that this lineup is going to be, like the Jets are coming at home, and now they get to play the Leafs with the last change. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that the lines are the same. How, how, you know, Where does the Lowry line fit in? And of those two top six lines, who is the one that gets the tougher matchup? I mean, d- does Maurice maybe sacrifice a few minutes for the Shifley line to put them up in matchups where they clearly will have an opportunity to be more dangerous offensively? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why not, right? I mean, that's it, it, it's kind of like pick your the opposite of poison, you know, pick your path to success. Cause I also think it's, I don't think it's as simple as kind of choosing one line. I think you're, you, you, there's a little bit more that goes into it. I mean, as if, if you've heard Paul Maurice talk over the year, particularly this season with this, you know, playing, you know, divisional games every single night, you kind of know the style better than you ever have of a team. So in this way, I don't think it's one like, okay, this line, you know, this is our number one line. This is our checking line. I think it's going to be a case by case basis. I also think, you know, those in-game changes are going to be so important because as you heard, you know, you've heard him say lots before and we've seen it with our own eyes. Sometimes the line's rolling, the first line's rolling, sometimes the second line's rolling. So you need to kind of figure out in-game who's rolling and, and how you want to do that. But it's just, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's just like an embarrassment of riches because you have this line in Lowry, Mason Appleton and Andrew Kopp who are, who are capable of shutting down an opposing team's top line and are also publicly saying they don't see themselves as a checking line. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's this deep, it's a deep group of, of nine here. You know, it's going to be interesting, as you mentioned, Huss, particularly for the home games when they when they get the last change and, and, and how they're going to exercise that. But at this point, I mean, you have to think like this is a great opportunity for them. And, and moving forward, you, if you can get if you can kind of shore up some of the known deficiencies of those two lines, particularly with the Shifley line, you know, there's going to be some defensive issues. And other than that, I think you're you're kind of laughing. 
you know, let's just for a minute talk because, you know, it's been a while since this team has been at home. And, you know, I think even more impressive than the record is the fact that they were doing this in some of the situations that they've been without the last change as Paul Maurice has tried to work through this. And the Jets have passed a lot of tests. I mean, when you think about this month, I mean, they start off on a great run, winning, what, the first four or five games, losing to Toronto, coming back and winning another one, uh, losing to Montreal, winning an OT, and then this road trip started. Seven games to finish up um, the, the month of March, and you lose the first two in regulation to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, just thinking the way this team came back, running off four of five, starting off zero and two, finishing four and three, and I don't know about you, but for all, and from my perspective, all, for all intents and purposes, finishing the Calgary Flames season last night, um, you know, the Jets have sort of graduated from a team that you know probably going to be a playoff team. I mean, now I really think this team can solely set their sights on this team that's in Winnipeg tomorrow night, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Edmonton Oilers, and you know, really going toe-to-toe with those other two teams for the North Division title over the final 20 games. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree for on a lot of that, absolutely. I'm not – I mean, they lost two in a row to Edmonton. So their competition is going to be Edmonton and Toronto. Obviously, they had a good three-game stretch against Toronto before that. But they lost, they lose two to Edmonton. So I'm going to – you know, you got to give them credit for bouncing back against, I think, a bad Vancouver team. And then kind of taking care of business two out of three because even though – you know, you expect, like, I think Calgary's even worse. I think Calgary's just horrendous. I just, you know, like, so to end, like, if it was a three-game, if it was a three-game skid through Toronto to end that trip, I don't think we're talking about how awesome this is right now. Like, Calgary's absolute shambles. They shot themselves in the foot a bunch of times. The Jets probably could have won that second game and didn't, obviously. So I do think that this team is getting better. I think they have the pieces. I think they're continuing to figure out what works. And I think they're able, when you're able to do that and also win games, that is the biggest piece of this. And I think that they're, you know, the Jets are growing in ways that, you know, you don't necessarily see on the ice. I mean, the adversity stuff, like you wonder what what's going on behind the scenes in Calgary. What's the team attitude, right? You lose your coach. Uh, anyways, I'm just, I'm just thinking with the Jets here, they're in contention. They're going to be in contention for first place. They're going to be in the playoffs, obviously. Um, it's a, these games are about to get heavier. They're about to get harder. Um, you know, whether you're playing spoiler or trying to chase the top of the standings, uh, these games are going to be tough. So, you know, definitely all credit for the finish of that stretch. They still went four and three. Um, that's not a, you know, that's not a, that's not a team that's going to win the cup doing four and three, you know, and, and, and it's, again, there's some good signs there, but I don't know. It's, I don't know how to gauge the Canadian vi- division compared to the other divisions. And there's other teams in other divisions that aren't dropping two games in a row either. So as great as it is, not Jets- very many of them. I mean, that, that you can, you can count them on one hand. I mean, the lightning have lost two in a row going into tonight's game. And here's the other thing about oh, it. And I mean, I get it. Lost it two in a row twice this year. So it's yeah, I, it, exactly. I mean, that really is, I think the calling card of good teams. And, you know, we can look at the, the two games in Edmonton are really interesting because to be honest, I think that if we broke down, I mean, so many of the storylines about the jets, Oh my God, they're giving up 40 shots to Vancouver or they're getting crushed. I mean, those were two of the games that if you really want to take a blueprint, they did everything they could to minimize the opportunities for the Edmonton Oilers, two of their best games. 
But Connor McDavid, much like the Jets' top line showed Calgary last night, the elite of the elite don't need very much to really make you pay, and they did that before. But let's not forget that those two straight losses were coming off 3-0-1 or 3-1-1 in five or six games, five games against Toronto and Montreal, including 2-0-1 against Toronto. Now, again, you want to break those games down. The record maybe looks a little bit better than what happened. Bottom line is, I guess just what I'm saying is, the Jets have graduated to a team that is legitimately in the conversation in every aspect with the Maple Leafs and with the Edmonton Oilers in this division. And now, Jeff, we're at the point where we can legitimately start talking about playoffs. We can talk about the trade deadline about this team as a playoff team um, and really start looking at, because none of this really matters what's happening right now, unless you, it really determines whether you're in or whether you're out. Um, And, I think back to the 2017-18 team with some of the, the deals that were made at the end and how different that team looked when they dropped the puck on game one of the playoffs against Minnesota than they did even 20 minutes or 20 games before the end of the regular season. So I think they've earned the spot that they're in right now. They've earned the opportunity to give their general manager a reason to, whether you want to call it swing for the fences, but make a bold move to increase their opportunities and I think whether you're a fan, whether you're a player in that dressing room or someone in management, um, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about what's to come beginning tomorrow night with the Leafs in town. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, on, on that point, for sure, it's all situational, right? If you look at this division, you have to look at what your chances are this year, every year, obviously, but particularly this year, coming out of your division, you're in the final four. So if you feel... And like you've seen your team, as you mentioned, that stretch, five out of six possible points the last three games set against um, Toronto. You know, you, you've already seen that team get it done in that kind of mini series. If you can improve your, your roster, you better do it. I mean, the players want that. You know, Blake Wheeler certainly wants, you know, he said it in the past. Kevin Chevalier to invest in winning. He wants a cup. So he's as much as he respects, and I'm not trying to, I'm not putting words in Blake's mouth here. It's the it's every veteran across any NHL team wants to know that their management is focused on adding the appropriate pieces. Now, that that said, it's not just add this, you know, add a bunch of pieces. There is some cost to bringing new guys in and risking some of the chemistry that you've had and the Jets have had mixed results, right? I mean, as you mentioned, that run, Paul Stassi played a massive role in that. Kevin Hayes the next year you know, a very solid player playing well now did not gel with the Jets. And by the end of it was becoming a bit of a depth forward. It was just an odd situation. So you have to bring in the right. Obviously, a lot of people are looking at the defense. And that, I think, is the biggest piece here is, is, is the defense. And not that I don't think that he can't get better at their defensive game or that they can't go on a run with their defensive group. But what we've seen in games, particularly late in games, is that when another team needs a goal, when they need to score and that's all they're focused on, there is no defensive side, they've been able to do it against the Jets. And, and, and whether that's because you don't have the, you know, that one shutdown line that you can totally trust or you don't have the unit of six to, to alleviate some of those minutes for the best guys so that when those moments happen late in the game, they're not gassed. That's the question you need to ask yourself. But the reality is, is it's not just as and Paul Marie said this, and this is the case, particularly for the Winnipeg Jets, is you don't just go out there and get a guy. It takes 
some savviness. It takes some convincing. We know that Winnipeg is a great spot for a, a potential playoff run. We also know that Winnipeg is also tends to be on players, you know, limited trade clauses. So there's a lot of obstacles that come into play. And I think you just need to, if you're the coaching staff or you're the Jets, I think you need, you're the coaching staff particular. If you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, you're looking. But if you're Paul Maurice, you kind of have to trust in the group right now and feel like this is the group that you're going to go with. Hey, just one more on the deadline. Um, and I think back to 2017-18, and you know, we were talking about a number of the players that have been floated out there by all the insiders, and we saw the list of the trade bait board that comes out annually and you know gives us a lot of fodder to talk about in sports talk radio and content like this. And then all of a sudden the Jets went and got Paul Stasny, who was on absolutely nobody's radar. What do you think the chances are of a deal like that, of, of a player coming here, Sheveldayoff working on something that, frankly, nobody really saw coming, that's not, you know, a UFA that's obviously available? Um, you know, so just thoughts on that and, you know, what you expect to see happen uh, come the 12th. Well, you can't say the odds are zero, right? I mean, we've seen it in the past. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's situational. I wouldn't be holding my breath for some kind of random. I think the Stasny thing is... <laughs> He's already, he's here, right? So, <laughs> so it's, you know, like it's, I don't think, you know, but we've seen, you know, Kevin Sheldale pull a rabbit out of his hat sometimes, you know, he's obviously working the phones. He probably has a bit of a reputation that he's willing to do work. He, he's not a guy who is going to get ripped off. So there's, you know, there's part of that there too, obviously. But when you swing for the fences, you know, quote unquote, you need to kind of take risk and you need to risk potentially losing a trade you know, maybe a long-term pain for short-term gain. And I just don't know if we've seen a lot of that happen. The Stassi thing, I think, is an anomaly because it was like, there must be a relationship there. And I mean, just the whole situation with him in St. Louis and, you know, probably not signing and gain a chance. And heck, it worked out for him, obviously. So, you know, that there's a lot, again, that's just an example that there needs to be a lot at play. So I'm not holding my breath, but at the same time, the Jets have assets. They have pieces. So it's it's it's, you know, whether the ask is worth it or not, whether you, you know, you need to make a decision if it is for this playoff run, but the jets have pieces that they can deal. A lot of guys that aren't even in the lineup right now, that a lot of teams would want. All right. Jeff Hamilton's with us from the Winnipeg free press. We, I, I could talk for another hour on the Jets situation, but having you here, knowing how, you know, closely you have really been doing a great job covering the blue bombers, the CFL really being an insider, um, what are you hearing right now from players, people in and around the league uh, on, I guess, let's start off with this coming season, 2021, um, you know, assuming there's some ability to get fans in buildings, are we going to be seeing football and how much is it tied to the, any potential future dealings with uh, the Rock? Well, I definitely think we're going to see football this year. So you're going to see CFL in its in its you know in its natural state in 2021. Now, are you going to see an 18 game season that starts in June? Probably not. But I think you're going to see a pretty close to a full season. Now, obviously, we know about the proposal put forth by the Canadian Football League to its players about the 20 percent cut um, that ensures an 18 game season. So long, you know, in the event that you can't have fans in the stands and then this whole top up thing, I think players are I think players are really fed up with that. They've been taking hit after hit after hit. They obviously didn't. A majority of them didn't collect a paycheck in 2020. Um, Then then the ones that had contracts 
or needed a contract for this year, took haircuts, restructured deals, or took things up, you know below their value just because the market is is now so crazy. Obviously, with the with the impacts of COVID, but you know, and now to take another twenty percent cut on an already cut salary. I don't think players are going to go for it. So maybe that's setting up for a smaller season. And I think that's probably where we're headed. We're probably looking at a July start. If you're asking my guess, I, you know, there's some people with optimism about that in the CFL. Now, no one's, no one's guaranteeing anything is you can't guarantee anything in this environment, particularly when it comes to the CFL. But um, I do think we're going to see, CFL football played in 2021. There's going to be a Grey Cup. It's not going to look anything like we're used to, but we are going to see three-down football played this. Considering the realities of the finances for the league, and to be honest, everything else. I mean, I don't know what the situation was at your shop, but I know back before the nuke in early February, for a period of time during the pandemic, we were, you know, took a 25% pay cut. We were working less. And we just sort of understood that's what it was. I, I, it's pretty clear to see if there are no fans in the buildings, the CFL's ability to play players takes a really serious hit. I'm just wondering from a player standpoint, and I get being choked about it. No one's happy about it, but it is 2021 and the reality we're living in. Is it better off to play more games and get 80% of your pay for games without fans? Or do you just wait and play a 12-game season? I would imagine for the players, I would think they would work out better to play more games and take a little bit of a cut on games without fans in the stands. Well, it's a question I don't have a I don't have an exact answer on because they haven't really said what the top up structure looks like. Like this many fans equals this, this many fans equals full salary, and and, and so I don't know what you know what that decision. If you wanted to start with eighty percent, because I mean, obviously they've set the the precedent of eighty percent of your salary in the event that there's no fans. So that's already been set. So I don't know if a hundred percent for. 16 games is better than 80% with this thing. You know, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out. I don't think the CFL knows this. I think this is the CFL's way of being like, hey, you want to play in June? We want to play in June, but these are the figures we have. Um, we're not going to show you them, of course, but we're, we're bleeding money. So just please trust us and get on the field and take a 20% cut after taking a massive hit to your ego during the negotiation process to stay in this league after missing all paychecks the year before. So, you know, the reality is, yes, is the picture in the CFL daunting hundred percent. And to be quite frank, I don't know what they're going to do. Like, I just don't see a way out of this. You look at the bombers financials, they lost $10 million last year's ended up being seven because of the, the wage subsidies that they got to the tune of $3 million. And they're going to start in the whole next year. And if you're going to be doing, if you need to spend, you know, I had a story come out, uh, on Saturday about what the what the game day experience is and what the you know Winnipeg Football Club has in store for uh, safety precautions and stuff like that. It's added employees, added added um, you know hand sanitizer things to the tune of a couple hundred thousand dollars. So if you're spending more money to play football and you're you're probably not going to have fans for the early early goings on and possibly you know parts and maybe who knows how long in the season. I mean, let's face it here. I keep going back to 2019. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers weren't selling out their stadium before, and they were losing money. To think that they're going to have a season where they can have half the fans, I think is a little bit advantageous. But even if that was your bar, it's horrible. It's a horrible situation. So, And when you look at the Bombers every single season, I mean, beyond the years, like, for instance, in 2015, where they hosted the Grey Cup and hosted uh, Women's World Cup game and, 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 and had things going. I think there was a concert that year, too. You know, they tuned, they put in eleven and a half million minus their rent uh, payment on the on the on the st- on the stadium. 
but all the other years they kind of fluctuate between you know six hundred thousand or a million dollars in the in in the black or or that much in the red and and so when you look at like even when you look at even when they release their financial audits it's kind of it, it's a bit it's a bit ridiculous in the sense that they um it's a bit ridiculous in the sense that they um they don't take into account the stadium payment so it's like yes the year before was 3.5 million operating costs but they had to pay like four million dollars or just over four million dollars on their mortgage it's like me saying this is how much money i make in a year but i'm not going to tell i'm not going to count my mortgage against it so you know the picture is bleak and the picture you know moving forward if you're only making this much money how do you get out of the hole you know at what point does it become operational where you're healthy again so that's obviously questions being asked particularly the community run teams um, and whether or not, and probably a big reason as to why they're entertaining these talks and getting going down a serious, you know, journey with the XFL. Well, absolutely. And Jeff, I mean, just for one final question, because we've got some baseball to talk about with Keegan Matheson yeah. coming up. But, you know, as you mentioned, I know Gregory was in the chat making a comment. Um, the Bombers announced a loss of $7 million last year. And I, I, I thought that it might be worse. But if the Blue Bombers, in the situation that they were in, are losing $7 million, what how much ugly ink must be in places like Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto and how important is just i mean do we even know that those clubs are in fact on side to take the field this year in the current situation that they're in see i think that's a common misunderstanding i think that those teams lost less money this Why? year because they didn't because they didn't keep their staff at 80%. They didn't pay their coaches this x amount of money in their market. Like they made cuts, they cut their staff right away. They didn't keep people on. They didn't have their CEO running around the province trying to bring football here all year. They didn't have they they, they took their the the Bombers expenses were 13.7 million dollars last year. So I'd be interested if the Alouettes spent almost 14 million dollars last year. Like, you know what I mean? We don't get to see those, but I'm telling you right now, there's a reason why those teams don't want to play. It's because they make less, they lose less money. And so I think they, they don't take it as serious as Winnipeg. So they fold up shop, they trim it down. You know, they do a, these cost-effective things, go down to bare bones and ultimately result in a lower loss. I'd be fascinated to see. And to be honest with you, $7 million sounds good, but guess how much they put into the IG field this year? Not a damn cent. So that's $4 million on an average year. So this it, it, $7 million doesn't look that bad. It sure as heck isn't good. And there's loans involved in there, and there's other pieces. There's deferred income. There's a lot of things in there that are going to spell a pretty difficult 2021 season, and I'd be fascinated to see what the 2021 numbers are at the end. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Jeff, I'll tell you what. Uh, we always love having you on the program. A great chat, as always. Could have gone way longer, but we'll do this again soon. We will talk Jets and, of course, keep a keen eye on uh, the future of three-down football, the CFL this season and beyond. Uh, have a great one, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Huss, thanks for having me on. I just want to do one last thing. I got the boys. They, they watch on the show, so the sub subarctic goats. Ah, boys, there he is right on. There's Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, Of course, Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily is brought to you by Boston Pizza Winnipeg. Call the shot promo is on right now. Started last Thursday. Uh, Get a free entry or an entry with any order of the pizza pairs, which I had last week, are awesome. Three pizzas, three dips, 
1899, uh, as well as maybe an ice cold Coors Light, Sub Zero, maybe another Molson product, uh, put you in to win Boston Pizza gift cards, a custom made ODR backdoor rink next year, or VIP NHL prizes. That's with the pizza pairs or any Molson product, eat in, dine in, takeout, delivery, all at Boston Pizza. And, of course, our friends at Royal Sports, spring is here. It's time to get outside and dominate spring, and you can do it all at Royal Sports. Saw them out. They've got a huge stack of disc golf equipment. I have not played before, but I think we're going to have to have a Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily Masters for everyone that has never done disc golf before. I'll send you the invites. You'll know about it by listening to the show. Uh, But whether it is camping, skateboarding, weight surf, uh, the new fitness department, and tons of bikes, despite a worldwide bicycle shortage, they're still getting them uh, at Royal, including some e-bikes starting at 1350. Get ready to dominate spring and go support our oldest sponsor, Royal Sports, 750 Pembina Highway and 650 Rally. They've also got a great soccer department and uh, baseball as well. And speaking of baseball, let's get ready for Blue Jays season with our good friend, the fashion plate of the Maritimes and Blue Jays reporter for MajorLeagueBaseball.com, Keegan Matheson. Keegan, what's good? How are you doing? Doing very well. Happy to be here, guys. How's everything? Well, things... um. Things are good right now for us. It's been sort of a crazy few months uh, for all of us here, certainly anyone that was working at the old station. Uh, but uh, for Michael and myself, um, we've got a good thing going on right now. We've had incredible support from uh, the people here in Winnipeg. Uh, and I think, and, you know, we've had great chats through uh, you know, over the years on uh, on the station back on Pemina, Keegan. And I think we all realize that Winnipeg is one of the great passionate sports cities in Canada. And um, the, the support we are getting right now doing this, trying to bring this content to people has been, has been overwhelming. And uh, there's been a lot of Jets talk. There's been a lot of talk about the CFL, XFL. But there's a lot of excitement growing for the Blue Jays in spring heading into opening day. You've been around the team, and certainly in the GTA. I mean, of the Jays nation, how would you compare the excitement and expectations to this season as opposed to any since um, they were back in the ALCS? This year, it's more realistic. Over the last few years, you would have optimists every spring, of course, but maybe more on individual levels. Or you're excited that Vladdy is on the way. You're excited that Bo is on the way. But uh, the, you know, the way I would put it is that the last few years, um, I, I'm of the age where a lot of my friends are getting married now. October is a big wedding month. I... Over the past few years, I have very confidently booked those weddings. (laughs) I'll be there. No problem. And they'll say, well, when does baseball go to? I'll say, don't worry about it. I'll be there. This year, I've had to say some tentative yeses. So it's a little more realistic going into this year. And that excitement, we have seen how Canada rallies around a good Blue Jays team. We talk so much about getting fans into baseball. What's going to get fans in the ballpark? Winning, period. That's it. Because you saw back in 15 and 16, kind of what you're seeing with the Raptors more recently is that the Blue Jays were the cool team. And that's a very simple way to put it, but I think it's what matters. And uh, if they get back to that point, man, look out. It's going to be uh, really exciting here in Toronto. Now, it's a great point, Keegan. There is absolutely no substitute for winning, you know, especially for a team that is essentially a national team. I mean, a huge portion of Blue Jays fans never have the opportunity to go to a game. And, I mean, their fandom is tuning in and watching the games on Sportsnet or listening to the games on the radio, if they're still doing that. That's a that's another conversation entirely. Um, but, you know, and they and, you know, the excitement and the interest is, you know, directly correlated to where the team is. And I think that 
in a lot of ways sort of speaks to how aggressive the Jays were in free agency this year, trying to, you know, add to a pretty exciting young core to give them a better chance to, to compete. Yeah, the, the markets that the Blue Jays have, it's it's my regular day-to-day, so I, I almost lose sight of that sometimes, how rare it is to have a national market. When you go down to a market, whether you are in Boston or St. Louis or Detroit, there's nobody in that local market that has to make an 18 or 25-hour drive to get to a ball game. You know, it's uh, growing up on the East Coast, for example, when you go out to a Blue Jays game, that might be your summer trip, really, for a lot of families. So I, I think the market they have, in terms of the potential reach, I think is where this gets important, because once the Blue Jays get good again, uh, you know, they're already good, but once they get great and truly competitive again, man, the potential is there to sell a lot of jerseys, a lot of $12 beers, a lot of tickets. And those things eventually add up. Those things eventually turn into more free agent signings. So once this ball gets rolling, it can really snowball. Well, the biggest fish when it came to free agency um, was George Springer. Um, Big picture, let's talk about what the commitment to Springer means for the Blue Jays for this season. And uh, how's he doing heading into opening day, which he uh, probably won't be available for? Yeah, a major commitment, at least off the start for the Blue Jays. Six years, $150 million U.S. dollars. That's no small number. And the Blue Jays don't make that commitment unless they are absolutely certain this is the guy. Because when you are at this stage in the rebuilding or, or competitive process as the Blue Jays, yes, you have the bullets to take those big swings, but you can't miss. You have to nail it when you go that big. Because we've seen, in baseball especially, how these major contracts, when they go wrong, how they can really sink a franchise over four or five years in the back end. So they believe in Springer, and he fits perfectly, really, with where they are. Um, As a center fielder every day, with the on-base tool that he has all around, playoff experience, I don't think you could have lined this up better for the Blue Jays. It just simply made too much sense. Now, if he's ready for opening day, we'll see. This will go up to the last minute, I think, for the Blue Jays. And even if he just misses those first six or eight games – that's okay. He can still get into 150 this year, and that's more than enough to really carry this team. But as long as that oblique injury doesn't turn into too much more, it was a grade two, so it's not just a, uh, a small ache. It, it was something real going on in there, but we should know more uh, by tomorrow, probably the day before opening day. Uh, assuming everybody is healthy, Keegan, um, let's look at the optimum Blue Jays lineup right now. Let's start in the outfield. Springer will certainly be a part of it. Who else is in there in uh, assuming everyone's available for Charlie? I think that has to be Springer with Oscar Hernandez in right and then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left. Uh, you know, Is Hernandez the most gifted fielder in the world? No. Big arm, but he does enough there, and he has one of the highest offensive ceilings on this team. You know, his raw power is absolutely incredible. That leaves Randall Grichuk as the odd man out for now. But we're already seeing how that's going to work out. There will be days where a guy is feeling something, where they're on a cold streak or where there's a DH day for Randall Grichuk. He's not going to play 150-plus games, I don't think. Uh, you know, Jonathan Davis will be there as a, a backup outfielder as well. But there's enough in there for Grichuk. And this is what happens when you are a competitive team. You're going to have some guys making eight or nine million who you're trying to find spots for. That's a good problem because the last few years at this point, we're probably talking about, well, who is going to play left field for the Blue Jays? So having one too many options is a good thing, but I think you have to have Guriel, Springer, and Hernandez. That's your best offensive outfield. Not your best defensive one, but the bats are enough to make up for that. 
All right, before we get to the infield, Vladdy Guerrero is such a key part of the future. Um, before we talk about where he's going to fit in, um, he looks a lot smaller this year. If you could, for people that haven't been paying attention to spring training, how much better shape is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in this season, and what does that mean for his prospects individually before we talk about everyone else that will be uh, beside him? Yeah, much better. Now, Vladdy says that it's 42 pounds he has lost, which is going back to last year's summer camp. So we're talking maybe about nine months roughly in there, give or take. And that's big for Vladdy because he is someone who is what we would call big boned or big structured. You know, he could drop all of the fat on his body and still be wearing that 36, 38 waist, I'm sure. I'm speaking from some level of experience here. And with Vladdy, to get down to where he is now is a much better weight for him. He was up in that 280-plus range last year, and he can walk into the ballpark and hit a home run at that weight. No problem. But for him, it's about sustaining it over 162 games of not just playing, but traveling, working out. These guys wear down over a year, and that's what Vladdy said. He said, I got tired. It wasn't a lack of fitness in an at-bat-to-at-bat situation. It was month-to-month and sustaining that. So having Vlad where he is now, much better for the Blue Jays. But that being said, no matter how many Instagram workout posts we saw this (laughs) offseason, this matters when you're on the field. What's it going to do to your numbers? Because – Frankly, you might wait that quickly. Maybe you pull a muscle. What's your muscle health like? There's risks involved in that too. But thankfully for, for Vladdy, all credit to him, and thankfully for the Blue Jays, it's worked out so far. He's hitting the ball hard, but more importantly than anything, he's hitting the ball in the air. And that's been the big issue for him these first couple of seasons. He's beating the ball into the ground. He's never going to beat out infield singles. That's not his game. That's fine. But now that he's lifting the ball, that's when you're going to see his numbers completely take off. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com getting us ready for Blue Jays opening day later on this week. So, uh, you know, we know Guerrero would like to play on the left side of the infield. Where does the manager have him slated and uh, who else will be part of the diamond? That's right. So Charlie Montoyo and and Logic has Vladdy at first base. That's where he's going to be, uh, I think, long term at first base. The the conversation about him at third over the offseason, it was framed a lot about him wanting to return to third base. But I think this works a lot better if you have just the option of Vlad at third base. So if there's a day where you want to stack up your lineup with a bunch of bats, maybe you try to hide Vladdy at third base for one day a week. See if that works. The Rays do that all the time where they'll try to hide a defender to get a bat in the lineup. It can work. So as long as he can do that once a week, maybe that's good enough. So from there, you'll have Marcus Semyon at second, Bobichet at short, which gives the Blue Jays really one of the best middle infields in baseball, especially offensively. And then at third base, Kevin Biggio. That was the probably the biggest question for me when I was down in Dunedin watching games is, how's he going to look? You know, Kevin Biggio at third, and how's his arm going to look? That's a way different throw than from second base. But he is such a natural ball player. He is instinctually so good on the field. And those things are hard to quantify, but I think you see it there, where you drop Biggio into another position, and he just says, sure. Who cares? I'll do it, and I'll do it well enough to keep this team going. That's what he's done so far. Uh, what about behind the plate? This Danny Jansen show pretty much all season? Mostly, but everybody's going to be clamoring for Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I, I know where the tastes of Blue Jays fans lie. I know that Kirk is really becoming a fan favorite already, and he's uh, one of the most interesting players, honestly, in this entire organization. Speaking of big boned. 
He is, certainly. He is uh, built thick. I do not want to be in a, a home plate collision with Alejandro Kirk. But, man, he hits everything. When he swings, he is making contact. Not a lot of walks, not a lot of strikeouts, but contact. Great, great hand-eye coordination. So the challenge for him will be defense. Danny Jansen does a good job behind the plate, and he manages that pitching staff very well, which is what the Blue Jays love about him. How can Alejandro Kirk catch up in that regard? We'll see. But how good his bat is, I'd expect his numbers to be better than Jansen, which a lot of fans are going to look at right away and say, well, start him. But a lot of this is going to have to do with defense, and maybe you can get Alejandro Kirk in there with some DH days, I think will be part of this strategy. All right, well, that's only half the equation. You can't win if you can't pitch. Um, you know, Hunjin Ryu I thought was a great addition last year. They continue to try to bolster up the rotation and the bullpen. Um, I guess the Kirby Yates signing was exciting for a while, and now he's done for the season. But let's start with the rotation uh, behind Ryu, who we imagine will get the ball on opening day. How much better is this rotation than what we remember from last season? That depends a lot on health. Right now, it's uh, it's not even that easy to say it's significantly better or significantly worse. It's just a lot of question marks, frankly, for the Blue Jays. You've got Ryu as an undisputed ace. He should be fantastic for the Blue Jays again. He should get Cy Young votes. But if he misses any level of time, man, this team is in trouble. That's why I think Ryu is this team's most important player. I know you can make the Springer or the Bobachet argument, but if you are to lose one of those guys for a month, there's options. With Ryu, there is no other Ryu on this team. So behind that, Robbie Ray is going to miss a start to open the season. What can Tanner Roark do? Can Steven Matz put it together? And when can these prospects step up? This team really, really needs a number two, uh, a legitimate playoff caliber number two, because when you get serious about competing, the simplest way for me to look at this is let's stack up the Blue Jays against a team like the Dodgers. If you're eventually going to be competing for a World Series, yeah, you feel good about Hunjin Ryu in game one. But game two, three, four, five, you're probably outmatched pretty comfortably in the rotation. So it's uh, it's not all going to happen overnight. I think the trade deadline is a big one to watch for the Blue Jays this year. That could be a, a really busy time, but they need pitching. And it needs to be good pitching, not just depth, but legitimate top-of-the-rotation stuff. Uh, what's the status of the young fireballer Nate Pearson right now? Yeah, Pearson has not started throwing bullpens yet. He's just throwing on flat ground, long toss. So at this point, the tricky part is that he needs to build all the way back up to 90, 100 pitches. That's the real difficult part about being hurt in spring training. So Pearson is as talented as any young pitcher in baseball. If you let a front office design a starting pitcher in a factory, Nate Pearson is rolling off that factory line at six foot six, 250, throwing 100. But you need to be on the mound, and that's been the challenge for Nate Pearson lately. Missed some time last year, of course, struggled early, but we saw how great he was in, in that postseason series against the Rays. Two innings, five strikeouts. This guy can absolutely dominate when he is healthy and when he's on. The Blue Jays just need that to be the case again. So coming back from this groin injury, thankfully we're not talking saying the words elbow or shoulder, yeah. anything like that. Just a, a groin you can deal with, but just a matter of time, thankfully. So that's good news for now. And he was never going to throw 200 innings this year whatsoever. So if they can get him back within this first month, start pushing him up towards that 100, over 100, that's still good news. All right, and finally, the bullpen. Um, you know, we thought Yates would have an opportunity to come in and earn a big contract as the closer. That is not going to happen. Um, uh, how would you assess the arms coming out of the pen? 
Yeah, thankfully they have some depth, but this was always going to be a great bullpen if Yates could get back to who he was, because then you have that locked-in closer and a bunch of pieces to play with. Now this is going to look a lot like it did in 2020 when Ken Giles went down. Now, Jordan Romano, the Canadian right-hander, has the highest ceiling of this group. Uh, He has the potential to dominate in the major leagues, period. But there's some nights where you're going to see him in the seventh, some nights where he'll be in the ninth or the eighth, just depending on when the highest leverage spot is. So it won't be measured by saves, I I don't think, as much this year. That closer's role is evolving. It's going to be all hands on deck, riding the hot hand. And Charlie Montoyo's challenge now is learning how to ride that hot hand and learning when to cash out before it turns cold again. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com with us. Hey, before we break, I want to get Remus in here because Remo has been in fantasy draft after fantasy draft and we were speaking beforehand and I knew that Rima would want to uh, pop in a little bit and uh, maybe get your take on uh, the Jays or some fantasy takes Reem. I was just going to ask Keegan I mean we've gone through the whole roster where do you see this team finishing what's the best case scenario and you know worst case would be probably missing the playoffs I would think yeah I think this is a season where playoffs are the expectation period if they miss the playoffs, it's a disappointing season. Um, you know That could happen if you're in the low 80s, 80s of wins. When you see a lot of the over-unders, I think a lot of those are landing in the kind of 86, 87 range. I think that's a pretty good range. You know, I, I'd lean towards that 85, 86 right now. We can go back and scrub this audio in six months when I'm wrong. <laughs> but I, I think the Blue Jays are set up for that. And it could be a situation, I think, where they might approach the deadline hovering near 500, a bit over 500, and get that jolt of pitching. But I, I like that line in the mid-80s, creeping into the high 80s. Uh, I don't see a 90-win team yet. I think we have that conversation next year. But it's got to be playoffs this year. You can't write off a missed playoff season as developing. That part's over. Keegan, uh, from a fantasy perspective, is there a player or two that you think is maybe a bit of a diamond in the rough that will provide big value if you snag them before the season starts on the roster? Yeah, in terms of the Blue Jays, just thinking of guys that maybe don't get the the credit they deserve, I think someone like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., just from an offensive standpoint, when you look at the numbers he has put up in his career, fantastic. His problem has just been staying healthy and doing it over a full 150. So I would expect that a lot of projections aren't expecting a full 150 from him, but his numbers, if he can put that together, I think would be extremely valuable. And he's kind of the guy that we forget about, myself included, when I'm talking about the young core. You say Vladdy, Bo, Kevin Biggio, there should be an and for, for Lourdes Gurriel. You know, the hype is already there with guys like Hernandez, Springer, Bichette. You know, Biggio is always going to be a guy who really chips in with those walks on base percentage. Stolen bases, strangely enough, with Biggio 20 for 20 as a major leaguer. Vladdy, I don't think it's possible to, to buy low on Vlad at any point. <laughs> I think the hype is still so out of control with Vladdy, but... I think this is the year he finally puts up some numbers like he's supposed to. Well, Keegan, great. Hey, you know, one thing we haven't touched on, um, this team is still somewhat homeless. Uh, do we know what the plan is for them? I believe they're going to be starting in Dunedin. Will they go to Buffalo? And what are you hearing about the possibilities that they play games back in Toronto at some point? So they, they announced today it'll be the first three series will happen in Dunedin at TD. That'll take them right up until the end of May, pretty much, through the first two months. Now, from there, there are two possibilities. I think if the Blue Jays feel they can get back to Canada soon, 
okay, you ride out Florida a little bit longer, you deal with the heat a bit longer, and you make one big move to Toronto. If it still looks like Toronto is a bit down the line at that point, that's when they start to look at moving to Buffalo, setting up shop there for a month or two and making this a three-step move. It is messy. It is not ideal for anyone involved in the Blue Jays' side, but at least they've got a plan this year. Last year was a scramble, but at least there's a plan. So if there's one date I'm looking at right now, guys, in terms of using an over-under, like let's see when they can get back to Toronto, maybe the All-Star break, you know, getting into July. uh, I think it's possible for some August and September, probably not with fans or many fans, but you got to hope. Because, uh, you know, as good as it is to have baseball on the TV, I'd sure like to be in a press box with the ball. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think a lot of fans, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a Goldeye fan here in Winnipeg that just wants to get out to the ballpark and do what we love to do. Go watch a baseball game, have a beer, grab a hot dog. And, uh, you know, from the other thing is, and we have this conversation, you know, whether it's CFL, NHL, um, there's a lot of money involved as well. And I mean... You know, luckily, they have quite well-heeled owners uh, that can maybe handle, you know, some losses or whatnot. But certainly from a business standpoint, getting this team back home, playing in front of their own fans is um, crucial when it comes to the bottom line for the Blue Jays as an entity themselves. It has to be. This matters. You know, we've heard so much about teams dealing with the past year, year and a half. I guess we're starting to push now, but... As you get into this season, as this stretches on, that's really going to strain some teams. Now, thankfully for the Blue Jays so far, they've been able to use this as a bit of an advantage. You know, there weren't as many teams going after George Springer. Maybe at the trade deadline, there are a couple of teams who aren't wild about the idea of paying one of their top pitchers for the next two or three years. Maybe that helps the Blue Jays there, but eventually, man, you need fans in the seats. You need them buying jerseys. You need them buying concessions. All of those things that add up to make this thing work. And um, you know, I'm not even just thinking about the, the on-field product, but the people who work for these teams, people who work for the stadiums. There's so many people who rely on baseball happening in Toronto or in minor league cities and in independent league cities. The, the infrastructure around one baseball team stretches well outside the field, and it's, uh, you hope it's back to normal. Hope I'm back seeing all those people at the ballpark soon. Well, Tegan, it's so much fun having you on the program. And certainly, I think everyone in our area, I mean, uh, some might be fans of another team, but the Jays are our national team. But I do have to ask you just on the way out. I mean, I know your focus is on Toronto, but outside of the Blue Jays, is there one team that really intrigues you going into this season? Um, I spent a lot of time earlier talking about the Padres and you know the additions that they've made, but is, is there a team that either you're interested to see what they do or one that you are expecting them to take a next step and really become World Series contenders? The Padres are going to be fascinating because it's an example of something happening so quickly. We're not used to that in baseball. This isn't the NBA where three big stars sign together and boom, they win a title. This typically happens a little slower. The one team I can't stop looking at this year, and and this is at the top end of the league, is the Dodgers. Not even in terms of whether they're competing. They're going to compete for a World Series, period. But so much talk now about what records these Dodgers team can chase after. It's not just 100 wins. It's 100 and how many wins for this Dodgers team. We, We spent so many years talking about the Yankees as that untouchable team at the top of the league that really controlled baseball. I think that's the Dodgers now, and I think that everyone is chasing them. Now, that can be good as long as teams continue to chase and don't tail off. But what they do this year, I think, is going to be incredibly important in terms of how dominant they are, 
how they go for this with their star power, their rotation. They put David Price in the bullpen yesterday. I mean, my goodness, the, the depth they have on that team. Controlling this league, who can touch them? And I think if you're the Blue Jays, if you're anyone else, yes, you're a contender, but hold up your roster and your rotation next to the Dodgers. That'll tell you exactly where you are in baseball. Keegan, great stuff. Um, you know, we always appreciated you taking the time to join us back when we were uh, on the uh, the TSN network. And now that we're uh, doing this direct to the people of Winnipeg, there's a lot of Blue Jays fans, and uh, they and we really appreciate your time. Uh, you be well, my friend, and hopefully we can do this soon uh, again once the season gets going. Absolutely, guys. Wishing you guys the best. Love Appreciate it. it. There he is, Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, covering the Blue Jays. We got opening day a little bit later on this week, and uh, uh, nobody covers the team better. Always fun to have on the program, and as Rick would say, a good Maritimer. Um, so we always love to have some of them on the program. There is Keegan Matheson. Um, we still have to get to a number of things. we got to get Remus back in here because – uh, we've got Eric Carlson, but a number of things from last night's game that I know people in the chat are going to want to talk about as well. Um, but Remo, pop back in here just before we get back to the Jets and hockey. Um, I-, I have to admit, I am really interested to watch this Blue Jays team this year. Um, it's been kind of a slow build, if you will. We've heard a lot about Guerrero and Biggio and uh, uh, Bichette. Um, but now it seems like the time is and the pressure is there to take that next step and really turn into that contender, both in the division and in the AL. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Keegan basically said it there. You know, it's a failure if they don't make the playoffs. You know, they've signed Springer, their prospects, Guerrero, Bichette, Biggio. We've heard about them for so much. We briefly touched on Marcus Simeon, who they uh, signed in the offseason, too. I really like him. Uh, you know, he could be a bit of a late guy to target a, a shortstop if you're still doing a fantasy draft. So uh, Blue Jays, great lineup. But as he said, a lot of questions when it comes to pitching, especially their starting pitching. So you hope uh, Hanjin Ryu has, can be healthy the whole season. Uh, he had a great year last year. In the past, he has struggled with injuries. But as long as you have him, uh, you may hope maybe Robbie Ray can take that next step. Uh, he's trying to solve those control issues. Now he is missing the first start, but we'll wait and see. And uh, Stephen Matz has had some success before, but health has been a problem. So they have targeted some starters like Ray and Matz who've had success before, but um, you know, if it's injuries or there's some issue holding them, holding them back, the Blue Jays think maybe they can channel into uh, you know putting it all together for a great season. Now I am not doing any season long baseball fantasy this year. Uh, I will be doing DraftKings, and we will do some regular DraftKings contests within our DraftKings league. If you're watching on YouTube or on the podcast right now, and you've never um, got in, formerly the warm-up, now the Winnipeg Sports Talk, DK Championship, um, send Remus, uh, myself, a tweet, at Hustlerama, Adam Remus, with your DraftKings handle. We'll make sure you get in there, and we'll go. So, Reem, I guess a quick question for you. Coming out of a week of all of these drafts, who are the hot players? Who are the who are the guys that uh, that you're being overdrafted? Who are the guys that everybody wants to have, whether it's first round or just much earlier than you expected them to go? I'll say that this has been the first year, and I said this that um, I've really seen the top of the order change. We're seeing a bit of a changing of the guard into young players. You know, it's pretty much been Mike Trout the last couple of years. But now you have all these young superstars, Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto. Tatis! Uh, coming in there. And, of course, yes, Fernando Tatis Jr. So I think that 
that for me uh, has definitely stood out. Pitching, uh, very strong, very heavy at the top. But uh, I think you know, baseball, very exciting. I'm looking forward to a complete season. I think a lot of what happened last year, people are willing to say, you know what, it was a weird season. Uh, you know, if someone had an off year, you're willing to be like, you know what, it doesn't matter. It was a 50-game season. Um, you know, it was weird circumstances. There were a lot of doubleheaders. People were sick. So I think we're looking, this is kind of like the next season after uh, 2019. Well, you know what, and, and you know, like, I, you know, I only had so much time with Keegan, so I didn't want to belabor this point, but I know so many people are sort of anointing the Dodgers as the team, and then there's everybody else. Yep. I would like to remind everyone that last year was a very strange year. It was a bit of an aberration. And before that season, what was the story about the Dodgers? Great regular seasons, great talent, always choking in the playoffs. And you think back to the Atlanta Braves in the 90s. What did they win? 13 straight division titles? They had the talent probably to win five or six World Series. They won one. So there's absolutely no guarantee that just because the Dodgers have this talent and they did it last year in a strange season with no fans, that they're automatically coming out of the NL. No, their their starters are obscene. I mean, as he said, David Price going to the bullpen, uh, Bueller, Kershaw, Urias. They have so many, uh, so many arms. Their lineup. I mean, even adding Mookie Betts is insane. So I think it's theirs to lose. Uh, I think San Diego can push. They've you know signed some pitchers as well and brought some guys in. I mean, they're they're hitting lineup very good. So uh, I think Dodgers definitely number one, but we'll see. American League maybe more. More up for grabs, but uh, I think the Yankees uh, with Garrett Cole leading the way and their strong lineup, uh, I think could be them too. All right, seeing uh, our guy, the godfather Mitch is in there and Mike Wynn talking about Steven Matz. Matz, of course, the former Met. Uh, Matz is the Jays' wild card, says Mitch. Uh, Mike Wynn, if Matz stays healthy, could be a gem for the Jays. To me, that's exactly what the Jays need. They need one of these newcomers that are slated for the bottom half of the rotation to really show up and perform at, you know, a level worthy of a third or maybe even a second starter to support Ryu. And if the Jays get that, they certainly have most of the pieces in the other areas of their operation, I think, to contend. Yeah, I agree. I mean, their lineup, very strong. Uh, I think among among the best. And you look at the pitching, you know, Ryu, but you hope Robbie Ray can solve his command. Steven Matz, he can be healthy. Pearson, same thing. And Tano Rorick, he's been a solid uh, pitcher with the Nationals for a long time. I mean, you know, solid three, four, five uh, kind of guy. So he's a depth starter. And you, know, you hope uh, it all comes together and then your pitching, uh, coaching can harness the talent of a Ray and a Mats to be consistent for an entire year. Easier said than done, but I mean, they sh- they've, they're targeting the right kind of guys who've shown flashes before. And, you know, the biggest example is uh, Jose Bautista, who had shown flashes, nothing to what he turned out to be. <laughs> For the Blue Jays, but it's the, that was the kind of guy who J.P. Richardi targeted, and now you have the current uh, GM at Ross Atkins uh, looking, I think, looking for something similar. All right. Um, listen, we're going to get back to hockey and Jets. Uh, yeah. Thanks to everyone in the chat. T. Konopoly, little late, boys. That's okay. You can always get it on the podcast a little bit later on or watch the replay on YouTube. Great to have you with us, Polly. Wayne Jones out in Norway. Nor- Norwegians talking uh, talking baseball. You don't get that very often, Reem. Um, but I do want to um, get to a couple more topics from last night's Flames game that we did not off the top mm. of the program. And again, if you have comments on last night's game, get them into the chat right now. We can do it. Um, Remo, let's discuss what is a kicking motion. Because, man, um, that was... 
as close a call I think you'll see when it comes to the quote-unquote kicking motion in the National Hockey League. And I'll give Kevin Sawyer credit. I thought that he nailed it when he described at least the way he was seeing it. And I was seeing it through maybe a Jets lens as well. If you're trying to look, how can this goal count? Well, listen, if that puck, I think, hits him, say, six inches earlier or half a second earlier, where his leg isn't fully extended, I don't think there's any doubt that it's a kicking motion. But by the letter of the law, he certainly did make a kicking motion. But by the time the puck hit him, he was essentially extended, and it was getting his spot, his foot into a spot to make contact and deflect it in. Um, and the goal counted. Um, that was about as close to a 50-50 call as I can remember, and it was called a goal on the ice, so I believe it stood. What did you think about the, the kicking motion and that big goal by Nate Thompson in the fourth line to tie it up? Yeah, I think that goal was honestly the turning point of the game. Um, you know, the, the Jets were down. You know, they had already lost on Saturday. You thought, oh, no, here comes Calgary. They're playing well. It's a close game. And it is a bit of a fluky goal. Thompson's stick is tied up. He's got no other option. He sticks out his foot and directs the puck. Now, when you watch it in super slow-mo, it, I mean, it kind of looks like his foot goes forward. I mean, he does have to kick his foot up to make contact with the puck. So, I mean, I was look, watching the replay, watching the broadcast. They were up in the air. I mean, I'm going on my Twitter timeline. I see Mike McIntyre of the Free Press saying, oh, yeah, it's a, that's a kick. This isn't going to count. I think Murat... Uh, of the Athletic, who we talked with earlier this week, he said, and it's not going to count, David Amber of Sportsnet said, you know what, I think that's a kick. I kind of thought it was a kick, too. I mean, you never know what they're going to call, but I was like, you know what, I think this one's coming back. I was kind of surprised uh, when it was a goal. I mean, again, it's a, you know, I looked at the rules, and the rule book says, okay, well, what does the rule book say? What Does, does the rule book say anything about what exactly I'm looking for when they say distinct kicking motion? And the answer is no. It just says distinct kicking motion. So that can be interpreted however you want. So if I think a kicking motion, if you think, those, we could have two different ideas of what a kicking motion is. So I know they asked Ehlers after the game. He said no, but I don't, I don't take stock. I mean, I could, I could be on the Jets too, and I'll go with – I'm just going to agree with whatever, you know, the call that goes for my team. But uh, it did lead to some <laughs> interesting – honest. Yeah, it did go to some interesting debates on Twitter – and then I think it goes the other way. Like, why are we? Even, do we even care if it was if his foot like kicked a millimeter and it's a no goal? Like, do you even care? Why do we even have uh, this kicking motion rule? Does it need to be applied there? Now, if someone's in the crease, you know, kicking their foot up like crazy, then yeah, don't call it a goal. But uh, obviously, there wasn't enough for the refs to be call it a distinct kicking motion. Uh, some people may have disagreed. Yeah, I mean, I like anything that promotes scoring and more goals. So sometimes this is one of those rules that I think you could say, well, maybe they could kind of take it away. However, um, all it takes is one crazy kick slicing a guy and, you know, even in the leg or the skate that, you know, makes them, you know, rethink everything that they've done. So, I mean, I think sort of where we are is the way that it's going to stay right now. And last night was just one of those um, very strange, super close plays that, um, you know, went the way of the team that got the call on the ice. And, you know, I I would have loved, you know, with all the lives, Mike's, you know, it would be it would be great to be able to hear the conversations between the referees, because, I mean, I, I guess the way I took it and, you know, we can give you an argument on both sides of, you know, why it was a goal or why it shouldn't have been a goal. But at the end of the day, it was called a goal on the ice. And I think probably it came down to it where it just was not conclusive enough for them 
to overturn the goal. And uh, Nasty Nate gets one. The fourth line gets the team on the board. And from that moment on, Ehlers, Shifley, and Connor took took care of it from there. Oh, yeah. And I think that, that goal was a big turning point. They asked Daryl Sutter after the game. He said, you know what, they called it a goal. I thought he was good. We were looking forward to like some big-time Daryl Sutter post-game press conference where he was angry with the team's play. Uh, he, he was it. he was very subdued. We did not we did not get that the hype that you were uh, you know posting on Twitter during the game uh, didn't deliver. But uh, I agree. After that, I mean, it was the Shifley Ehlers Connor show. Uh, Ehlers with three six, and that was three assists. That was that was the big uh, story of the game. And then you had Cop uh, chipping in. I mean, Nikolai <laughs> Ehlers. Uh, you know, he's he's become. I think that was also the chatter. He's become one of the premier wingers in the league. Um, you know, up for debate, best winger in the North Division. He's going up against Mitch Marner, who some Toronto fans might say he's he's the best. But uh, I mean, the guy. What now that he's playing so well? Maybe he'll finally get some time on power play one, right, Hus? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm not complaining about the power play right now. I mean, if the team's in the top five in the National Hockey League, um, you know, it's the old "if it ain't broke, don't fix it." The great thing from a Jets perspective is that there's two power play units that can score right now. And if the top one isn't working, and I think we're seeing more even ice time gone to the days where the first power play is out there for 150, and then the last guys get, you know, a bit of a shift and then move on. Um, so this is the power plays. And that was one of the areas where I was most concerned with what would happen to it after Line a left. And to be honest, they really haven't missed a beat. Gary Medeiros, I was just saying how great it would be is if they had the mics on and we could hear the refs talking. Uh, Gary, very correctly pointing out, that didn't work out so good for one ref, Huss. <laughs> and then vi- videos of Reddit. Shout out to videos of Reddit. Always hanging out with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I'm a bet we won't, won't be getting any access to any hot mics, LOL. And that also is a very uh, a very good point. The aftermath of the Tim Peel fiasco. Now, you mentioned Daryl Sutter. He was, um, well, listen, before we saw Daryl Sutter last night, we saw Matthew Kachuk. And he looked every bit the angry. I mean, I want to say part of it was somewhat petulant. Um, He was exasperated, but he also knew the reason why all these questions were coming. And, you know, we look back to, you know, the play between Shifley and Kachuk Ream on the second goal where, you know, they were battling to go in, you know, on a two-on-two. Shifley got position. Kachuk tried to impede him, didn't work, and then decided that his best course of action was to pretend that he had been interfered with and went down with the big, you know, histrionics and whatnot. Shifley said, thanks very much, took the pass, I uh, iced the goal, made it 2-1, and the team didn't look back. And of course, then we saw Matthew Kachuk smashing his stick, yelling at the referee. What was interesting afterwards, and as much as he didn't want to answer the question, and he didn't say, listen, I dove, but he said he was doing what he had to do and, you know, was upset with the way that it happened, um, but also sort of took, uh, you know, he took, oh, here it is right now if you're watching on the stream. Great work by Reem to to get that up. He uh, he really embellished it. Um, he got embarrassed by it, and he sort of owned ownership of that goal as well as the fourth goal last night for the Winnipeg Jets. And he mentioned that this team has a real hard time responding to adversity. And that quote, Remus, was brought up to Daryl Sutter after after in his presser, and 
he sort of said, yeah, that's true. And like the guy that you're talking about um, is one of the guys that we need to be better at that. So, I mean, the, 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 the Blazers are pointed at all of the top players on the Flames right now. And, you know, as I was um, talking with Dusty earlier today on the lock shop and with some guys in Calgary, the next couple of weeks for the Flames is going to be absolutely fascinating because I think this, their performance the last couple of weeks after the bump of the return of Daryl Sutter has put them into a position of some decisions they probably thought they knew they had to make in the offseason could very well be moved up to the trade deadline if Brad Treleving thinks that he has a better opportunity to get more for some of these assets because it's hard to imagine any scenario where the Flames are able to qualify for the Stanley Cup playoffs this season. Yeah, they're really behind it right now. Uh, so the, I would say their playoff chances are pretty much done. Uh, you know, Daryl Sutter, he's not going anywhere. He signed the long-term deal, so we'll see what happens. Do they, you know, try to trade Goudreau or Monaghan? I think Matthew Kachuk, they decide to keep him. Elias Lindholm, who knows? Uh, Mark Giordano, he's nearing the end of his career. I would think if you're Calgary, you do maybe look to, you know, make some changes. Uh, what those changes are, that's going to be up to Brad for living. But this is a team that went to the playoffs last year, maybe you know surprised a bit, uh, beating the Jets. Uh, didn't get much farther after that, but there was certainly some excitement. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on, on Calgary for a while. Uh, shout out to Tom Halleck, Mike Severino, Jeff Kabillies, and uh, oh, Destruction, formerly Dizzle Plizzy. He's changed his name. Excellent. And uh, Sandy and G also popping in. Great to have so many people in the uh, in the chat. So we've touched on the kicking motion, the Kachuk dive. Another thing, I'm not sure, Remus, from a Jets fan's perspective, there was a more excruciating 90 seconds last night than when the Jets were killing a penalty. Nate Thompson lost his stick, and it turned into a glorified five-on-three. Um, it was the long change. It was it was a very difficult spot for Thompson to get out of being in that blocking shot lanes, and I thought he really did a good job. But you did bring up... The point, and I know you and Rewicki were going back at it on social media last night. At what point do you just say screw it and go get a stick? And you know, you you're down an extra man for ten seconds or whatever. But if you can get back without them scoring in a much better position, wasn't realistic in that case. I think for Nate Thompson to do that, um, but it was an interesting conversation because there are at times where guys running around without a stick you know, if they're not already killing penalties, can almost be rendered useless. Yeah, I was just bringing it up because, you know, you see a guy playing defense without a stick, and they're so, it's so futile. Like, you're trying to, like, play, you know, goalie, and I think you're putting yourself at an injury risk more than anything. When you can run to the bench, how long does it take to the bench? I mean, guys kill five-on-threes all the time. I just feel like it's a conversation that's never really been brought up. Like, at one point... Are you better off just running the bench and playing five on three for like five seconds and then coming back for a stick? Because you do see it. I think you see it pretty often where guys, you know, in the defensive zone try to play D without a stick and they it looks silly. Just go to the bench, get a new one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it. I don't think you're killing the team uh, by by doing that. So I I don't think it's ever really been talked about. I don't think there's ever been a study on it. But let's you know we've talked about. You know, new things in hockey, Paul Maurice playing three forwards in overtime, never seen before. When you break a stick in the D zone, just go get a new one. And maybe yesterday wasn't one of those times. I have no idea, but I don't think it's a thing that gets talked about ever. 
No, you're right. You're right. It isn't. And and when you brought it up last night, a lot of people did start talking about it. But as I said, I didn't expect him to do anything. And I thought he did about as good as could have been imagined in that situation, killing a penalty without the stick. I mean, he was always seemingly blocking that big shot lane from the point. Um, but man, as I said, that was an excruciating 90 seconds of mm-hmm. control for the Flames with what basically was five on three and a half. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not criticizing Nate Thompson. I'm just bringing it up. Like, and again, 90 seconds um, of a guy without a stick. How long does it take you to go to the bench? And how long does it take them to score? Are they going to score every single time? Probably not. But he, I agree. He did a, a fantastic. I mean, that guy. That's a guy who's played hockey without a stick before. Uh, played defense without a stick before. He did a, a fantastic job and prevented them from scoring. So kudos to him. Yeah, I know someone was uh, popping in saying Flames were also mad about the Lucic penalty or the disallowed goal because of Lucic's goaltender interference. And, I mean, Connor Hellebuck said it all after the game. I mean, you know, you sometimes you can get pushed in, but you don't have to slam me in my head into the post. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that was uncalled for. And then Hellebuck dropped a reference to the statute of limitations. I saw I which, that. <laughs> <laughs> which was just, an, I mean... Listen, there's no better interview, especially after a win, than an exciting, excited Connor Hellebuck. Um, okay, we've got a clip for the end of the show, but one other thing, and I know Gregory was popping on, on this, and I'm sure Ruicki's been talking about it as well, Reem. How stunned were you to see Shane Gostisbehere's name on the waiver wire today? He and his $4.5 million salary put on waivers by the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, that was definitely a surprise. Um, you know, he's been a guy who's been one of their top D for a while. Now he's kind of playing bottom pair. He's playing a bit of power play time. Uh, my ears perked up, but you look at his salary. He's getting like $4.5 million for the next couple of years. And a lot of questions in chat earlier today. Um, do you think the Jets try to pick him up? And I don't think he fits in with the team. I don't think his salary fits. I don't think his play justifies that salary for that length of time. And I think a lot of people in chat also said, no, I think you want to get someone who can help with defense. That's a guy who's more of an offensive defenseman, not exactly known for his defensive capability. So maybe you want someone who's a bit more well-rounded. So I don't think uh, – I think his salary is uh, is prohibitive. Uh, uh, all right. Hey, hey, just on Philly, um, on that, and I pretty much agree with you. I mean, I think there's a reason why he's on waivers by the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers did come back after being down 3 nothing, tied mm-hmm. up the game with the extra man and beat the Buffalo Sabres in overtime to extend the losing streak or the winless streak to 18 in a row. I mean, the Sabres have found all sorts of ways to lose games, but that one last night, Reem, has to be maybe the most depressing, depressing, soul-crushing loss of many that the Sabres have uh, done up this year. Yes, we talked yesterday here when you did the lines of the day. Okay, Sabres, this is their night. I know O-Dog was tweeting out this is their night. The odds look good. Flyers, you know, coming off those crushing losses to uh, the Rangers. They're giving up a lot of goals. Carter Hart sent home to get uh, for a reset. And then Sabres, 3-0. Oh, they're going to do it. This is the Sabres night. And uh, no, Uh, Flyers came back, tied it up. Won it in overtime. That is, uh, thankfully, I didn't bet on the Sabres. I couldn't bring myself to do that. And uh, that is exactly why. 
few people live bet the Flyers down 3 nothing at 15-1 to were pretty happy at the end of it all. All right, we're going to finish off with this clip of Carlson, but first let's get to the daily lines from Cool Bet. You just mentioned it. Um, and if you'd like more discussion on tonight's lines and games, including picks, dog pound picks, check out my Twitter. Dustin Nielsen and I did the lock shop right before we started up Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily today. So we've got picks for tonight's game as well as for the Valero Texas Open. Uh, but the games I think most people will be paying attention to tonight. Montreal is playing the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers plus 108 underdogs. Habs favorite at minus 128. Habs have been off for a week plus Oilers finishing up three games in four nights. Interesting matchup. And a little bit later on, the red-hot Nashville Predators. Give you a little tip to who I like on the dog pound. Staying with them. They're taking on the Dallas Stars. Nashville plus 108. Dallas minus 127. Nashville's won five in a row and seven of their last eight. Getting right back into the playoff picture and potentially taking Eckholm off the market, although we'll see how all that works. All the lines available at coolbet.com, and you can check out the uh, Sports Talk Winnipeg Twitter feed for more of the lines and uh, a link if you want to use the site. All right, Reem, we've got the cool bet lines done. Uh, we got to finish this off because I know we do have to get the podcast up. But um, and all timer, this is the sort of stuff we would have spent ten minutes on the warm up on back in the day. Eric Carlson, it's been a terrible season for the San Jose Sharks. He ended up having a great night last night, uh, but didn't seem to have a lot of time for the post game interview. Here's Carlson last night. All right, Eric, is that the best offensive game you've ever had? Uh, two goals and essentially a hat trick when the game winner and the uh, shootout? Not even close. <laughs> Shang. All right, Eric, is that the He's best offensive game you've ever had? He's just sitting there eating ever- an apple in the middle. Now, you know, it's been a horrible season for Carlson. He's making $11.5 million. He's probably earned about 10% of that this year. The team is in shambles. Their financial situation might be as bad as any place in the National Hockey League. And yet he had a good game, um, but still dealing with the stress of a lost season. But I'll be honest, I haven't seen anyone be so um, sort of not that happy to be there in a while, especially after a win than uh, the apple-eating Eric Carlson yeah. we saw last night. Didn't even hesitate when he said not even close to his best offensive game. And we know he had some great ones with Ottawa, but then takes a bite of the apple like he's Bugs Bunny <laughs> eating a carrot or something. Uh, makes me want to just sit here and, and gnaw on it. I should have had one and take a bite out of it, but... Uh, I don't. I don't have one. So uh, maybe next time, next interview has to just be chewing on an apple, uh, shouting out questions. Yeah, I'm sure that'll look great for our YouTube viewers. Speaking of our YouTube viewers, thanks to everyone. Man, just another great day with a packed chat room throughout the entire program. We can't thank you guys enough. Tomorrow on the program, Reem, we'll uh, head out to T.O., get ready for Jets Leafs on the Leafs side of things. Stay here in Winnipeg as well. And of course, get ready for Major League Baseball opening day. But uh, cannot wait to see the team back home and really interested to see what the Leafs have for the Winnipeg Jets after the Jets walked out of Toronto with five of the possible six points a couple weeks ago in that highly anticipated three-game series. Yeah, I really think it was the third game against the Leafs. You know, for those first two, the Leafs were out shooting the Jets, outplaying them, and it was really Connor Hellebuck stealing the show. But in that third game, I think a switch flipped. They had, were committed to defense. They were allowing less shots. 
And I think they've played awesome uh, since that game, even in the two losses to Edmonton. Uh, they played a strong game. They just you know got beat by a guy named Connor McDavid. So we'll see what Jets team shows up. Will they continue this strong play? You know, we we heard the cliche, Huss, you know, the first game at home after a long road trip, uh, you know, not really uh, going so hot for some of these teams. So uh, it is the Jets' first game at home after a long road trip, uh, but I expect them to have another strong game. Win or lose, I'm not sure, but they've continued, I think they've continued playing games the right way over the last couple weeks here. You got it. Um, Hey, great show today, folks. Hey, big thanks to Breezy Bend uh, Country Club. They are our golf sponsor this year. Cannot wait to get out to the course, see the guys, spend a little bit of time on the patio, hopefully be able to golf this summer. Uh, If you're looking for a great spot to uh, spend the summer, check out Winnipeg's premier private golf course, breezybend.ca, or give him a call, ask for Corey, uh, a hell of a dude running the place and a great friend of the program. We've got to thank Not Auto Corp, Nick and Nikki DQ Group, Royal Sports, and of course, Boston Pizza Winnipeg, and the Cool Bet lines will be posted up a little later on. Remo, great show today. Thanks to Jeff Hamilton, thanks to Keegan Matheson, and uh, thanks to the whole crew. I know you've been monitoring the chat as we've been doing the interviews. Uh, It's been popping all day long, just great to see. And of course, if people are there, uh, hit that like button if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the podcast, help us out. Don't forget, leave a five-star rating and uh, a little review that you're enjoying Winnipeg Sports Talk if you are. Yeah, I love seeing everyone in chat, and I loved how the chat was so... They enjoyed the top of the show, where you <laughs> pulled out your yes. a- Amazon package and uh, switched your cable on the air. I was going to you know, take off your camera and just put on my camera, but I'm like, you know what? This is interesting. I want to see I want to see this. And if people were here for the cord unboxing... <laughs> that well, The funny thing was, is as I realized what was happening and realized that it was basically right beside me, I just sort of pulled it up, showed that I had it, and yeah. uh, we did the well live done. unboxing. We did, uh, we've did. we solved a few tech issues live on the program as we've been doing so far. But uh, other than my mic and cord, everything else was technically perfect. Excellent job as always, Remo. And uh, thanks to all of you for hanging us uh, out with us today on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We'll have a big show tomorrow getting ready for the Jets and Leafs. We hope you'll join us there. In the meantime, thanks for your support. And uh, tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. Get and subscribe on YouTube and on their favorite podcast platform. All our links are on all our social media tags at Sports Talk Winnipeg. Or you can check out the website at winnipegsportstalk.com. Folks, thank you for the support. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m., live here on YouTube on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Shut it down! Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.